The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. How many of you have ever asked the question, Why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? How many of you ever asked that question? Come on, five of you. Uh, how many of you ever asked that question? I think all of us. And um, this morning, I want to give you an answer to that question. Why is this happening to me? If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And uh, we we got quite a few scriptures this morning. But uh, this scripture launches us into an understanding that God has begun a work in us that he's going to complete. And so all of us right now, that's what it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, every single one of us ought to have a big tabard that reads, God's at work. God's at work. God's at work in you. God's at work right in you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's at work in you. But too often what happens is that we don't interpret what happens in life as God's at work in us. We, we interpret a lot of the stuff that happens to us like, I'm under attack. The devil is having a go at us. We don't interpret that God's at work in us. And so we ask the question, why, Lord? Why is this happening to us? I remember it was in the, uh, the early 90s. Anne and I were pastoring out at Campbelltown. We had three little children. Christelle might have been only one or two at the time. And, um, and Anne's neck started to really tighten up. You know, she just um, was having a lot of discomfort in her neck. And uh, what ended up happening eventually is that she kind of felt all the muscles so constrained that it was like someone was choking her. And, um, and so we went to physio, um, finally went to a specialist. And as soon as the specialist uh, saw her, he said to her, um, this is nothing but burn out. And um, you're overdoing it. And so this is your body's response to overdoing it. Well, you can imagine for me as a young pastor uh, how badly I felt uh, that my wife was in a scenario where she was overdoing it. And, um, and, and in, in so many respects, I felt responsible. I felt responsible for putting pressure on her and pressure on uh, being a pastor, pressure on her being a pastor's wife and all the expectations that came upon it. And so Anne had to just pull back. She had to pull back from so many things. I mean, she was housebound for a little while, and, uh, and for months she had to pull back. And, and uh, you know, during that time, it was, it was a questioning, why, God? We're serving you. We are faithful. We're pastors. We've given our life to this. Why have you allowed this to happen? Well, let me tell you, when I look back now over that situation in the early 90s, we're talking... Um, you know, 26 years, uh, I, I look back and, and I look at it and I say, God, you were doing a lot more than I understood at the time. And so what's happened is that through our 
very difficult period, we've been able to teach other young pastors how to avoid burnout. We've been able to teach them how to avoid the pressures that everyone puts on you, the expectations of people. How many people live under constant expectations? What do people expect from you? And what ends up happening is that so often we live under everybody's everybody else's expectation rather than God's expectation. Matter of fact, when I look back at that incident, I, I can see that a lot of my theology was changed because I didn't get an instant healing. And, you know, for me as a young pastor, I, you know, I'd seen a lot of healing and I still see a lot of healing. But back then, you know, I'd been to places where I'd seen blind eyes open and lepers cleansed and lame people walking. And yet and I was praying over my wife and nothing was happening. You know, I just kept praying and praying and praying. No answer to, to the prayer request. And what I didn't realize was that God was doing something a lot deeper than the moment. And I want you just to stop and focus on this because this is the crux of our message this morning is that too often we live more in the moment than in the view of eternity. And I want to say that again. We live more for the moment than with the view of eternity. There's a, there's a text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, that, that I need for you to underline, I need for you to highlight, I need for you to get into your spirit, because this is what it says, for our light affliction. Now, this is the Bible describing our affliction, but too often we interpret it as our heavy affliction. But, uh, but in the light of eternity, it is a light affliction. Excuse the pun there. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you've got two factors there, the momentary and the eternal. Our problem is that our momentary feels eternal. And our eternal is momentary. But in actual fact, what we're going through right now is momentary. And so here, here it is, point number one. Why, Lord, answer, God's preparing you to live with him forever and ever. God's preparing you for eternity. God's preparing you. Now, we talk about eternity. I mean, Pastor Aaron quoted John 3.16 this morning. You know, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. We talk about eternity. But how many of us understand that we are right now being prepared for eternal life? How many of you remember when you were in the womb? Is there anybody here that remembers when they were in the womb? Because I'd really love to talk to you if you do. Most of us can't remember. But there was this phase of our existence that lasted for nine months. How many of you know that in the light of this life, it's momentary. But those nine months were so important because you were being prepared for this world. What was happening while you were in the womb is little fingers were starting to grow. Why is that? Because you needed it in the womb? No, you didn't need those fingers in the womb, but once you got out of the womb, you certainly needed them. Little toes were starting to grow. 
Oh, little feet were started. Did you need those feet in the womb? Oh, I'd give your mother a hard time for sure. Uh, how many women can say, boy, I tell you, I could, I could see it. I, I, we could see some of the feet when they were pushing out against Anne's belly when she was pregnant. But really, at the end of the day, those feet were designed for walking, but not useful in the womb. Wasn't much walking happening within the womb. Here it was, this nine months, you were being prepared for the next world. This is just a classic illustration of what's happening right now. You are being prepared for the next world. But we don't live in the light of eternity. We live for the moment. We live for today rather than God's preparing us for eternity. So, so while God's preparing you to live with him forever and ever, he requires two prerequisites from you. The first one is holiness. The second one is humility. Why is that? Because you can't live with God forever and ever unless you become holy. This is the thing that the devil and the angels that worked on his side got cast out of heaven because they decided one day they weren't going to be holy. And what's holiness mean? Holiness means to abide by the will of God. Holiness is to live according to the will of God. Devil woke up one day. Well, he wasn't even, he didn't even have the name devil back then. He's, 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 he was the archangel of heaven. And, uh, and he rebelled. He broke hold of the will of God. He lost his holiness. And because he lost his holiness, he was expelled from heaven. How many of you can honestly say that you've never sinned? How many of you can honestly say that you've never Done anything that God doesn't want you to do. There's not one person here. But God says you can't enter heaven without holiness. And so what he did is that he gave his son to become our holiness. And so when Jesus died upon the cross, he died for your sins. And then when you receive Jesus, he takes away your unrighteousness and imputes, imparts to you his holiness. And so this is, people need to understand that you cannot enter heaven through your own works of righteousness. You can only enter through the imputation, through the giving of his holiness upon you. Step number one, that's why we preach the gospel to people, so that they can become holy. Who here has become holy through their own works? No. Who here has become holy through the work of the cross on Calvary? Give me a wave if that's happened to you. Because if it hasn't happened to you before you leave this morning, we want that. Second, second thing that is a prerequisite is humility. Everybody say humility. Humility, oh my goodness. How necessary is humility? It's the key to everything in the kingdom. See, pride comes before a fall. And if anything, it's pride that entered Lucifer's heart when he fell from heaven. And so pride was connected to unrighteousness. And so on the flip side, humility is connected to holiness. How many of you can see that? And it takes humility to receive God. It takes humility to, to, to say, God, I can't save myself. Only you can save me. God, I can't do this by myself. Only you can help me. And, and, and it works against that self-sufficient nature in our lives where we begin to call upon the name of the Lord. This is what Romans says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like, it's like putting your hand up and saying, 
I'm a needy person. Will somebody help me? Humility is the key to breakthrough. Can I just say to you that right now, that your breakthrough is connected to your humility? And it's an amazing thing. At, at this church, we have this area at the front that we call the altar. And, and what we do every Sunday is that we invite people to come forward if they have a need. And we pray for them. But how many of you know it takes humility to get out of your chair and come forward? How many of you know that? It just takes humility. And a lot of people, through whatever reason, they just won't humble themselves. And so, so many people miss out because of their pride. And, and, and I'm saying to you, with all humility, don't let pride stop you from everything that God has got for you. Humility will always win you more points than pride. Can I just say to you, in every area of life, God will elevate the humble, but he'll bring down the proud. And so can I just say to you that that you might think that at work you're going to get further ahead by being proud and arrogant. But I tell you, you'll reach a ceiling and you won't get any further. But humility has no ceiling. Humility will always win at the end. And not only that, but people can see and always respond positively to humility. Let me, let me tell you the second thing that I want to say to you. God's preparing you for eternity, but get hold of this. God's preparing you to rule and reign. God's preparing you to rule and reign with him. I call this training for reigning. How many of you like that? Training for reigning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3 says, Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? See, background to the story. Okay, um, They've got a court case happening. And so what they're doing is that they go into the world to make the decisions for the church. What a terrible thing it is when you get into court cases where the world has to make decisions for the church. How many of you know something's really broken down? So Paul's rebuking them for going to the world for them to, to get decisions and says, hang on here, don't you know that, that we the saints, we are going to judge the world? Not only that, but we're going to get to a point where we're going to judge angels. What? You say, come on, that word judge can't mean judge. Well, I, I did a checkup on it. It's the Greek word krino, uh, krino, K-R-I-N-O, and it means judge. It means to rule and to govern. So, so you say, what? We're going to judge angels? Yeah, because we were created a little lower than Elhim, it says in, in, in the Psalms. We were created a little lower than God, but we were created higher than the angels. And so God's preparing us for eternity, and we're going to rule over angels. That's, that's not me saying That's the Bible saying it. And so what God is trying to do is that he's trying to prepare us to rule and reign with him. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Now, right there is a key. What's the key? That endurance is what God is trying to do in our lives right now. And that endurance is the preparation for reigning. How many of you are with me this morning? Am I going too fast? Are you getting hold of what I'm saying? God is preparing us for eternity. And so what we need to do is to look at what's happening in this world. That's God's preparation for eternity. 
When you see something budding, don't, don't start rebuking it. Start saying, God, something is budding in my life, preparing me for what I don't even have to use here, but is actually preparing me for eternity to rule and reign with you. Can I give you three things that God's trying to do in us? Three ingredients. Are you ready for this? Three ingredients that right now God is trying to do in you and too many times we're misinterpreting it. Number one, God is trying to make us a problem solver. Everybody say problem solver. The only way that you can rule the saints ruling, making judgments over this world is you've got to be a problem solver to be able to do that. You can't rule over angels and rule over this world if you're not a problem solver. You can't. You, you, you need wisdom. You need to be able to have insight. You need to be able to have discernment to rule and to reign. You, you can't have a judge who rules and reigns that's not a problem solver, that can't see the, the, the way through. Okay. So how does God make you a problem solver? Are you ready for this? Because here it is. This is the crux of this message. And, and some of you are going to pull your hair out because you don't like what I'm saying. And, and some of you are going to jump up and down and say, no, but it's going to make a lot of sense. How do you become a problem solver? God's going to give you little problems right now to solve. And you think if your problem is big, you ain't seen nothing yet. These are just the little kindergarten ones. And you're saying, no, God's gracious. He gives you the ability to come through. This is the graciousness of God. So what you are facing right now is a test. It's a problem that God's given you. And it's like, it's like being in school where the children are given problems to solve. And they're preparing them for the following year where they're going to get bigger problems to solve. And some of you are sitting here saying, that's it, I'm never coming back to this church again. The way this pastor preaches, I thought I came here to be encouraged. You're being encouraged. You're being prepared for eternity. Stop living in the moment and start to see that there's a bigger thing in front of you. And rather than running away from your problems, run to them. Too often what happens is that we're running away from our problems rather than stopping and saying, okay, God, you're doing something in my life. You're preparing me for eternity. And I'm going to sit here and work out what the God solution is. Oh, that puts a big twist to the story, doesn't it? What else is God trying to, you know, when, see, I'm, look, I'm 57 years of age. I wish, I wish I knew now, I wish I knew 30 years ago what I know now. I wish that I had a mentor back then that was able to help us navigate. Because I think I spent too much time running away from my problems, running away from problem people, running away from situations rather than stopping and saying, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Because I can remember pastoring a really, really difficult church, you know, 30 years ago, a really, really difficult church, pastoring that, trying to work out what, and, and so many times my prayer life would be, why me, God? I've served you faithfully. I'm a good pastor. Why have you given me terrible people? 
<laughs> There's this guy down the road. He's a really bad pastor. It would be great if all the bad people could go to the bad pastor and you'd send me all the good people because I'm a good pastor. And um, it's not the way that it worked. And so, and so now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, wow, I've become a better pastor because of those situations. I've actually... God, you've used those situations to teach me stuff. And now, now I, I, you, know, you know, it's just an amazing thing how, how God uses some of the tough things in life. L- let me give you one illustration. Uh, just one illustration because, it's, and there's so many of them. Uh, got a knock on my door one day. And um, one of the leaders in my church came and he said, John, God gave me a word for you. And I thought, wonderful, come on in. Because I'm thinking, you know, all words are for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's going to build me up. And so, uh, so I, I invited him in. He sat down and he says, look, it's just a quick word. I'm not going to be too long. I said, yeah, sure, talk, talk. What did God say? He says, God told me to tell you that you're proud, arrogant, and rebellious. <laughs> How many of you like a word like that? Do you think that's a great word? Proud, arrogant, and rebellious. You know, my Italian rose up. How many of you know what the Italian is? Uh, we don't get mad, we get even. That's the Italian. That's the, one of the Italian mottos. After we came, we saw we concreted. You know, we don't get mad, we get even. So, <laughs> and uh, we don't call the police, we call the family. I mean, you know, just... You, you know, the Italian rises up, and, but, then, but then the Spirit of God rose up. And the Spirit of God says, let me pray about this. Okay, so that's what I did. I said, I said well, let me pray about it. And so, so he left. He didn't have anything else to say except you're proud, arrogant, and rebellious. And then, then I got to praying. And um, how many have ever prayed with a whinging, whining note? Huh? The whinging, God, this man came into my office. And he said that I'm proud, arrogant, and rebellious. And Lord, you know that I'm not proud, arrogant, and rebellious, don't you, Lord? Don't you, Lord? And then I felt the Lord speaking in my heart and saying, John, are you perfect? And I said, no, Lord. And then the Lord says, why aren't you perfect? And I thought myself saying, is it because I'm proud, arrogant, rebellious? <laughs> and this is what I felt the Lord say to me. No, you're interpreting it as 100% proud, 100% arrogant, 100% rebellious. He says, you're not 100% proud, 100% arrogant, 100% rebellious, but there are still elements that are between you and perfection. And all this man has seen is the elements. And what you need to do, John, is put them before me and you'll increase in your humility. You'll increase. And you know what? Even though it was a really tough lesson, God showed me something so powerful. And in actual fact, that man helped me become a more humble pastor. That, that man actually helped me to deal with some of the pride, arrogance, and rebellion. But you know, the irony of it is that the only reason that happened was because 
there was enough humility that was able to supersede the pride to be able to ask those questions of God. How many of you know that it doesn't matter what happens in your life, God's able to turn it around and prepare you for something great in your life? Here it is. Second thing that God's trying to do is not only make you a a problem solver, but make you a faith holder. I love this. A faith holder. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not, it doesn't say without faith, it is difficult to please God. It doesn't say without faith, it is really, really hard to please God. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, how many of you know that our faith is not something that just lasts for this life, but is something that lasts for eternity? Because all faith is, is believing God. That's faith, believing God, trusting God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is this walk with God. I'm trusting God in whatever situation I'm trusting God. doesn't matter what I think. It's what God thinks that matters. It doesn't matter what I say. It's what God says that matters. That's faith. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that your faith will be tested with fiery trials. Your faith will go through fire. And so right now, every single one of you are having your faith tested. And some of you through more intense fire than others, but some of you are going right now through a faith trial. We've got people in our church that are facing life and death scenarios. We've got people in our church that are facing cancer. How many of you know that when, when you compare what you're going through with your loved one facing cancer, maybe, maybe it's not quite as big as you make it out. We've got people in our church that have, that have had loved ones killed in accidents, and that's a huge that's a huge trial of your faith when a loved one is killed in an accident. And uh, you know, th- there are so many scenarios that people are confronting right now. And, and, and how do you respond? This is faith. God's got it. God's got it. I don't have it. I might not see the solution to this, but God's got it. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so, so many of you have got it right there. On your wrist, this wristband that says God's got it. God's got it. And I I know so many people in our church that are wearing these wristbands because they are wanting to be faith holders. God's got it. And every time you confess, God's got it. I'm, I'm looking at my fiery trial, but I'm saying to my fiery trial, I don't have it, but God's got it. I don't see the solution, but God's got it. I don't know what the end is going to be, but God does, and he's got it. Let me tell you, the confession of your faith will increase. And let me just say to you that if you haven't got one of these bands, I've got them at the back for you before you leave this morning to take it with you, put it on your wrist, and learn to be a faith holder. Not only a problem solver, but a faith holder. How many of you are going to get one before you leave? Where is it? Just at the back there? You've got it, Alex? That's awesome. There's a big... Yeah, just... We've printed another batch. We uh, ran out, but we've printed another batch that says, God's got it. Let me tell you the third thing that God's trying to do. He's trying to make you a problem solver. He's trying to make you a faith holder. He's also trying to make you a faith, a, a grace giver. A grace giver. 
There's something noble about people that show grace. If, you know, if, 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 if you're going to be a good king rather than a bad king, if you're going to be a good prince rather than a bad prince, and you say, why are you talking about, about nobility? Because that's an actual fact what God's calling us to do, rule and reign with him. He's training us for reigning. And good kings, good princes, good princesses are people that show grace, people that are gracious. And the only way that we can show grace and really understand the power of it is to be in need of grace. How many of you have heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh? How many of you have wondered, why, what? This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Why was there a messenger from Satan to buffet him? What's this business about the thorn in the flesh? I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to answer it for you right now this morning. Well, first of all, let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that if it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The whole, can you see the whole essence of this scripture is not living in the moment, but living in the light of eternity? Can you see that the essence of this? Here he is saying, hey, for the moment, I, I, I would love this thorn in the flesh to depart from me. Man, I, I, it's, it's, it's annoying me. It's a painful thing. It is not cool. And then, and then God says, yeah, it isn't. But I want you to live in the light of eternity, not in the light of the moment. And in the light of eternity, Paul, can't you see I'm trying to do a few things in you? I'm trying to humble you. Here here, with all this revelation, he, Paul says, I understand this, that lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that I've got, this, this, this thorn in the flesh was given me to keep me humble. You say, what? Yeah, humility for God is a high priority. And can I just say to you that if you don't learn it, it will be taught to you. And how many of you know it's much easier for you to learn it than for you to be taught it? Because in the teaching of it, there's a hard thing that you got to go for. So if you want to learn it, fast. Learn it fast. The other thing is this, is that Paul was constantly saying, God, I need your grace to get through this. And God says, I give it to you. My grace is sufficient for you. And then finally, it was, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Here it is. When you're weak, then God is strong and you become strong. There's a God dependency so the three things that Paul was learning through the thorn in the flesh was humility, grace, and God dependency. And, and God will do whatever he can to teach us humility, grace, and God dependency. And so we've heard a bit, bit of humility, a bit of grace, a, a bit of God dependency. But grace is so important that we become people that not only want to receive grace, but people that also dispense grace. And, and, you know, how many of you know that grace is unmerited favor? And unmerited favor means that you're dispensing it to people that don't deserve it. You're giving it to people that don't deserve it. That's, that's the real test of grace. Anybody can give grace to people that deserve it. But what about people that don't deserve it? 
How do you give forgiveness to people that don't deserve it? See, this is what makes you a noble prince, princess with God, where you can rule and reign with him because you're dispensing grace to the unmerited. You're giving grace. And you know, God wants you to learn to do that now. That's why he says to forgive people around you. Come on, be gracious in forgiving people because you've got to understand that, that you can't be living in the moment of your pain. You've got to live in the light of eternity. You've got to look at every situation in your life and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm going to finish. My time is up. Tim, you can come up. But can I just say to you right now, stop running away. Be still and learn. Stop running away from your problem. Stop running away from your pain and be still and learn. Stop squirming. How many of you know that that scripture in in, uh, Psalm 46 verse 10 that we love to quote, be still and know that I'm God. here's, Here's a different translation. Stop squirming. Stop squirming. Sit still. It's, it's like, how many of you got children and they're, and they're squirming? You told them just to sit there, you know, just time out. How many of you do time out? You do time out? When I was a kid, we never got time out. We got the belt. But anyway, <laughs> uh, God sometimes says to us, time out, time out. And can I just say to you that God still gives the belt? He still does. He chastises whom he loves. So when he says time out, stop squirming. Because if you don't sit, you'll get the belt. I'm telling you now. And getting the belt is a lot more painful than sitting with time out. Just be still. Stop running away. Be still. Stop squirming. And just know that God's got it. You know, be still and know that I'm God means stop squirming and begin to confess God's got it. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Start confessing it. God's got this. God's got this. God has got this. I don't need to have it if God's got this. Be still. Stop squirming. Stop running away and get it. God's got this. You know, sometimes we just, we're so busy rebuking the mountain. We're so busy rebuking the storm. We're so busy rebuking the giant that we don't see that God actually sent the storm, the mountain, the giant, to draw us closer to him. This is, this is what they say. I'm finishing. This is what they say. That most people that come to God either come to God as children. How many of you came to God as children? There you go. There's a fair proportion of you. I came to God as a child. But you know what? If you don't come to God as a child, then this is recognized. That most people that do come to God, come to God in the midst of crisis. How many of you came to God in the midst of crisis? It's like, you get your, he gets your attention when you're facing a crisis. Now, I'm not saying that God will send the crisis. I'm not saying that God doesn't send the crisis either. I'm saying that God always has a purpose for the crisis. And it's only to draw your attention. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? The story of the prodigal son is just so amazing. Why is that? Because he lived at home with dad, but never knew the love of the father when he was at home. When he got the inheritance, no revelation of the love of the father. When he was spending, no revelation of the love of the father. 
When he ran out of money, no revelation of the love of the Father. When he was in the pig pen, no revelation of the love of the Father. It wasn't until he started in humility walking back home that he he had no concept. Well, even if I become a servant, that's cool. He had no concept of this father running towards him, embracing him, kissing him, loving him. He only discovered the love of the Father after he went through his crisis. Come on. He's a father in heaven. His arms are outstretched. He's opened the door to eternity. He's saying, come. There's eternity. I'm preparing you for it, to rule and to reign. And today he's inviting you to come and receive his attention, receive his love. Has he got your attention? Because if you're here today, it's not by chance. It's not by coincidence. It's by design that he brought you here for you to see his arms outstretched and come just the way you are. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, I just pray for every single person in this auditorium, but especially those that are away from you, Lord. Those that through disappointment, through all sorts of reasons, have walked away or just have never come. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, that you would draw them to you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here this morning, but you're away from God, and today you want to connect to God, you want to come home, you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to say yes to God, I'd love to pray for you. So if that's you, you're away from God, but today you want to connect to God afresh. Would you lift up your hand so I'll know who to pray for? Just lift it up. I'd love to see who you are so I can pray for you. Is that you? Is there anyone here today? You're away from God, but today you want to connect to God. Would you just lift up your hand quickly? Just lift it up. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. My last call. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? I'd love to pray for you. How many of you right now are going through your own thorn in the flesh? You're going through your own trial. You're going through your own storm and you need God's grace to help you. Just lift up your hand. How many of you are going through some stuff and you need God's grace? Yeah, there's so many of you. So many of you right across this building. I'd love to pray for you. If you're going through grief right now and your heart is broken and you need God just to heal your broken heart, would you just lift up your hand? I'd love to pray for you as well. There's God's presence is here in this place. He's not pointing the finger of condemnation. He's opened up his arms of love. He's waiting to gather you to himself. He's calling you by name. That's awesome. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.